2: Thanks for joining me each and every Saturday and thanks so much for telling all your friends. It's been 10 years, I cannot believe it. We're surviving COVID, I'm doing this from home. (laughs) But the message is the same. Try to make the world a better place. When each and every one of us does that, it does become a better place. And at 8.15, my guest, Dr. Jason Cohn, is trying to do that by having doctors like me mentor young college and medical students, and show them the way of what it's like to be a doctor, the greatest profession that there is, and why he and I love it so much. It made me think all week, the worlds I love of art, of sports, and of surgery, they're all the same to me. So where do you see the beauty of mentoring someone in the world of art, music, I did not know that Dionne Warwick was the cousin of Whitney Houston. I didn't know that Whitney Houston, as a little girl, was in the background singing with Dionne Warwick as she literally was showing her the way. It's an unbelievable story. And what's more incredible is the angle of Dionne Warwick, of how she got started in the music business. She was inspired by Ella Fitzgerald, but she had nobody taking her under the wing. She did it herself, discovered by Burt Bachrach and Hal David. In the 50s, she's a teenager. It's an awesome story. Let's hear what made Dionne Warwick so special. Steve, let's play Walk On By, a song from 1964 one of her biggest hits.
3: If you see me walking down the street and I start to cry each time we meet, walk on by,
2: walk on by. The composer, whose birth background, he wrote the music. The The lyrics were Hal David. When she was but a teenager as a backup singer for the Shirelles for Specter Records, Burt Bachrach and Hal David heard her. They had written some songs that they wanted to pitch to the record companies and they needed someone to sing them. So Burt Bachrach Bert a- approached her and said, We really would love you to sing the songs. Would you do that? The first thing she said was, I'll have to ask my mom because she was that young. The song that Burt Bacharach had in mind for her to sing is a song he just wrote called It's Love That Really Counts. She sings it, and he pitches it to Florence Greenberg. Gotta love that name who was the head and president of Spectre Records. Florence Greenberg said to Burt Backrack, forget your song. We need to sign the girl that's singing it. And that's how Dionne Warwick's career took off. But the story of her relationship and mentoring Whitney Houston is so special. Let's hear Whitney Houston talking about her mentor in 1997. Let's go to number 12.
3: Like I said, I come from a family of singers and I have always, always loved this lady's songs. To me, she sang, if not the best songs, some of the best songs recorded in pop music.
2: Number, next one, 13.
3: She is one of the Greatest songstress of our time. I'm talking about Miss Dionne Warwick, y'all. Yeah, that's right. I tried to psychically get her here, vibing her here, and uh...
2: <laughs> that's a joke because she made a lot of money later in life being on the Psychic Network. Number fourteen. Ain't that funny? <laughs> it's funny.
3: I always do that to her, she always laughs, it's funny. I've never attempted to do any of my cousin's songs, but tonight, I think we are. We're gonna do it, you ready? Cool.
2: And now you're about to hear the mentee, Whitney Houston, Houston, paying tribute by singing one of her mentor's most famous songs. But let me tell you, this is turbocharged. This is Whitney Houston singing Walk On By. Number 15.
3: If you see me walking down the street And I stop to cry Each time
2: try and sing along to that song you'll be left in the dust once she takes that song of her that voice of hers and shrills it whitney houston incredible now let's listen to dion warwick her mentor talking about her mentee let's go to number eight
3: you know dion the last time we sang together we were standing around nana's piano and that's the truth mm-hmm. don't you think it's about time we make our tv debut? yes i do okay. How well do I know Whitney? Well, let's see, 26 years ago, my Aunt Sissy said, guess what, we just had a girl. (laughs) Uh, How well do I know Whitney? Whitney is my daughter that I didn't have.
2: Number nine.
3: Now you've seen her grow up. Yes, I have. What kind of girl is she? She's a good girl. You know, something that she uh, was taught and has responded to as a young woman. She's a fabulous lady. What do you think about all that's happened to her? Deserve so. Very, very talented. She works very, very hard, and she's earned it all. I think she deserves it.
2: Dionne Warwick wrote a book, and in it she talks about being inspired by Ella Fitzgerald, Passing the Torch. She's another big African-American singer in America in the 50s and 60s. But being inspired by someone is different than being mentored by them. Whitney Houston was a backup singer for Dionne Warwick. She trained her. Rather than just teaching her or inspired by her, she mentored her. Number 10.
0: There is a moment in your book you call, uh, when you write about passing the torch, and you say that, indeed, uh, the torch of, uh, well, some of the people you've been talking about earlier, uh, um, uh, you know Ella Fitzgerald and, and people like that was passed to you and you feel that you've passed it torch as well. In this case, to your, to your cousin.
3: Yes, to Whitney. And uh, I think I made a good choice. <laughs> <Very> good.
2: <laughs> and here you'll see the difference when, Whit- when Dionne Warwick talks about her as a little girl, Whitney Houston, being a backup singer and during summer vacations, mentoring her. Number 11. She at a
3: very, very young age, her mom, Sissy, uh, was on the road with me for a minute or two to do background work for me. And, uh, of course, during the summer vacations is when we had all the kids out on the road with us. So, Whitney, I almost called her Nippy, <laughs> we refer to her as Nippy.
2: She's such an original. She's really not being mentored by anybody else, Dion Warwick, even though she's mentoring Whitney Houston. How do you find that beautiful original who has no mentor? Listen to how this all-star, how did she meet Burt Bacharach and Hal David? Number one. I met Burt
3: first. Uh, We were doing a background session. He had written a song with another songwriter, Bob Hilliard, called Mexican Divorce. And uh, the Drifters were recording it, and we, the girls, were doing the background for it as a part of the background group with the Drifters. And uh, after the first rehearsal, uh, Bert approached me and asked if, uh, if I would do some demonstration records of songs that he was writing with a new songwriting partner called Hal David. And I said, you know, sure, as long as it didn't interfere with my education and my schooling. and My, if my mother said it was OK.
2: Number two.
4: Well, I didn't know what we could really do at the end. I just knew she was wonderful to start with. That was a starter. and That she had some exceptional musicianship. Um, and as how David and I started to write for her, the more, we, the more we recorded, the more we wrote, the more we saw what she was capable of doing.
2: And next.
4: The first song was Don't Make Me Over, which is a pretty difficult song. I think it's an octave and a sixth. That's a... Oh, uh, it went for... Except... Then. So it went, don't make me over. And the end, except before, for what I do. Except, so that's from there to there, which is... That's an, it's two notes short of an oct- uh, two octaves.
2: Listen to Dionne Warwick interacting with the audience and this is a recording from 1965. 30 plus years from when you heard Whitney Houston do it. Listen to Dionne, an original. No one is taking her under her wing. This is why she's so special and sells 22 million records in the first 20 years of her career. Number six. If you
3: see me walking down the street and I start to cry, Be with me.
2: Sports, the best story for me of mentorship is Phil Jackson and his New York Knicks coach, Red Holtzman, who began as a scout, Red Holtzman, for the Knicks and was the one who spotted the talent of Phil Jackson as a player, brings him to New York, tells the Knicks to draft him. The coach of the Knicks then gets fired and lo and behold, Red Holtzman is now the coach of the Knicks. There's a very close association and relationship between Red Holtzman and Phil Jackson, a mentor and mentee relationship. In Phil Jackson's book, 11 Rings, on page 31, he says, one thing that fascinated me about Red was how much of the offense he turned over to the players. He let us design many of the plays and actively sought out our thinking about what moves to make in critical games. Many coaches have a hard time giving over power to their players, but Red listened intently to what the players had to say because he knew we had more intimate knowledge of what was happening on the floor than he did. And that's exactly what Phil Jackson did. While the players struggled many times, whether it was Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, or Shaq and Kobe, He didn't call a timeout. He let them figure it out for themselves on the court. Let's listen to the mentee, Phil Jackson, talk about his mentor, Red Holtzman, from his Hall of Fame speech, number one.
5: Well, it's a terrific night. We've had some entertaining moments tonight, some great talks by coaches. And all of us know it's a player's game. But tonight is a coach who's coming back having played in the NBA. I feel that uh, it's a great responsibility to give this game back to the players and understand it's their effort. And that's what I learned from Red Holzman. Number two. Tonight, I wanna say some quick to-do's to to many people that have altered me on this path. The people that I've worked for, the organizations I've worked for, from the Albany Patroons, the Quebradillas Pirates, the Isabela Gaetos, the terrific years with the Chicago Bulls, and of course the incomparable LA Lakers.
2: Number three.
5: The coaches I've had in my educational years, my high school coaches, both Petersons, HL and Bob Peterson. HL taught me um, you know, no pain, no gain, and marine. And Bob Peterson, my high school basketball coach taught me there's joy in this game and the pleasure of playing it.
2: These are thank yous that Phil Jackson is giving teachers, coaches in his life, people who inspire him, people who taught him, but they're not his mentor. They're giving him advice, no pain, no gain. Great. That's different than taking a piece of you and putting it into someone else. That's what a mentor does. Let's go to number four.
5: My professional career, a lot of it's tribute to Red Holzman, who was a scout for the the New York Knicks, saw me play in many situations when I was in college and encouraged the Knicks to draft me in the second round behind Walt Frazier. Early in my rookie season, Red was named as the head coach, and he allowed me to play with all these Hall of Famers that are here tonight, Earl Monroe, Walt Frazier, Bill Bradley, Willis Reed, Dave DeBuscher, Jerry Lucas, Cassie Russell. But how
2: did Red Holtzman really mentor him? Listen up, number five.
5: But probably the most pivotal moment in that career that I had with the New York Knicks was when I was injured after a very successful rookie year, when I was named as an all-rookie, the all-rookie team, was being injured in the middle of my second year with a very serious, a career-threatening injury, and had to sit out not only the rest of that season, but the following season, when the Knicks won their first championship in 69-70. And next? Red not only encouraged me to stay a part of the game, but he also taught me a lot about watching the game. Remember I he told you about say, my men? You know, this is not rocket science. Defensively, you try to stay in front of a man offensively hit the open man. It was, he was a no nonsense guy.
2: For me in orthopedic surgery, like Red Holtzman who taught Phil Jackson to see the game, he taught him how to see the game of basketball. Dr. Ranawat taught me, the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. How to analyze actually what it is that you are seeing. That's what knowledge is. Number seven.
5: Basketball for him, was a game that transitioned from the playground and the offensive systems that were being used at that time were just something that he thought happened all the time. Red made me the guy that diagrammed the plays. And people that know me know I'm not much of an X and O guy, but Red recognized the fact that I had a love for concepts and a love for the game. Dion Warwick taught Whitney Houston
2: The ears don't hear what the mind doesn't know. Ranawat taught me the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know, like Red Holtzman taught Phil Jackson. It's a beautiful thing, probably the most beautiful thing you can do with your life, is to give a piece of yourself to someone else, and that's what mentorship is. Coming up next, we'll get into it with the great Dr. Jason Cohn. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.
0: You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai.
6: What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. From now on, I am not Robert Clapper. I want you to call me Smokey. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Dr. Smokey Clapper. That's the greatest. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers.
0: You make me feel so young.
6: <laughs>
2: you make me feel so spring has sprung. And every time I see you grin. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Talk about a mentor. Whether you're Harry Connick Jr., speak, Michael Buble, I go it's Frank Sinatra. He's the mentor, and you're the mentee. Play. And nobody knows more about mentorship in medicine and surgery better than my guest right now. I'm so excited to talk to him, Dr. Jason Cohn. Jason, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Oh, you're welcome. It's uh, very exciting to be on your show. (laughs) Did you listen a little bit about Dionne Warwick and Whitney Houston and Phil Jackson and Red Holtzman? I did. I listened to all of that, and I loved it. And I also
1: really enjoy your commercials that you have. (laughs) Clapper
2: and Sinatra who doesn't love Sinatra (laughs) Jason I want everybody to know about you I was in the operating room yesterday and I said to this you know the nurses and the techs I'm working with you know I'm going to be talking to Dr. Cohn Jason Cohn have you worked with him what is he like and what's really beautiful in life Jason are two things You want things that are timeless, which is why I love to sculpt in Carrara marble, because after the people are gone, the stone will still be here. And you want to do things that are priceless. And one thing in life that's priceless is your reputation. And every single one of these nurses and techs told me what a great surgeon you were. And that is priceless. So great job, Jason, in in really fulfilling a career that is really all about taking care of people. And I just want to know who you are so that the listeners understand. Where did you grow up? What did your mom and dad do for a living? And why did you choose surgery? Wow, that's some good stuff. So first of all, um, thank you for that.
1: I, I guess I paid all those texts and uh, nurses yeah. well. <laughs> so, you, you know what's crazy? You know, you and I, we, we you've been at Cedars uh, as a surgeon for, for how many years?
2: Thirty-one. 89 I 100. went to
1: practice. Yeah. And I've and I've been there already, you know, I'm I'm already now an old timer too. I've been there 20 years already, which is wow. crazy. Crazy. And 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 you and I we know each other, but yet it it upsets me that we've never really other than little bits here and there, we've never really connected much. <laughs> right?
2: I'm, I'm busy
1: and you're busy. busy. Exactly. <laughs> But, and I think we have – one of the things that's always kind of appealed uh, to me about you is I think we have a lot in common or, or a decent amount in common. Certainly, we're mm-hmm. both from New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I could definitely hear it more in you. I deliberately, <laughs> when I went to college, tried to lose the accent.
2: <laughs> Get out
1: of here. <laughs> yeah. But I'm deliberately putting it on. I'm deliberately putting my New York accent on while I talk to you. (laughs) What part of New York did you grow up in? So I I grew up in the city. Um, We first lived as a little kid. We lived down in Stuyvesant Town, um, Mm -hmm. you know, near Alphabet City in in the low teens. And then we moved uptown. Um, My father was a character. It's a whole other show. My dad was basically, uh, this is the first time I'm saying it, there may be a hit on me for saying it, my dad was a mob lawyer.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah, but he, was, but he wasn't the one doing it. He was kind of the guy who made all the connections and, and did all that stuff. And uh, the funny thing about my dad was his firm was called San Angelo, San Angelo, and Cohen. My dad, <laughs>
2: my dad thought he was San Angelo. That, that's part. <laughs> I did. I did knee surgery uh, on a on a mob boss uh, many years ago, twenty years ago. That a a neighbor of mine from Ventura, and I remember him saying to me, "Where's the anesthesiologist?" I said, "Hold on a second, let me go get him." I said, "Steve, I just want you to meet uh, the patient we're going to be doing next." He looks at the anesthesiologist and sees this you know little Jewish anesthesiologist and says, "Hey." i better wake up
0: <laughs> that's great that's great.
2: the that guy, guy says to me, Who my own this guy <laughs> um, so your so my, dad was the lawyer for the mob wow
1: yeah wow. yeah
2: which is a whole other interesting thing. <laughs> um so where did the idea I, of becoming a doctor and going into surgery come from yeah so
1: and my mom, was, my mom was, you know, a stay-at-home mom and then became a teacher. But my mom was really, um, you know, unfortunately she died like 20 years ago. But unfortunately my mom was one so. of those amazing people who just nourished and encouraged anything and everything and was one of those amazing support um, people. And I attribute and I, actually to, to both of my parents, but to my mom mostly um, – the kind of person i am today i i, I think that's from my mom wow, um
2: you know, that's beautiful she
1: gave me the confidence Good. to do everything and anything and uh um did you have brothers and sisters i had two sisters i had one older sister one younger sister and it, interestingly i i don't know um long story short so i was also a bit of an artsy guy and i wound up going to suny binghamton to college mm. um and initially, I was going to be, you know, routine pre-med, bio major, uh, get a, and I and I like to tell this story, um, and then and do some art classes while I was in college. That was my plan. I'll do some art classes. What they had, <laughs> and I wound up over the course of college. Dropping my bio major and becoming an, a pure art major, I I graduated with wow. masters in fine arts in painting and drawing from Binghamton, and I just did my prereqs. All I did was what I had to do, in in to get into yeah. medical school, and then luckily I applied to medical school and got in. And, wow. And, uh, Where'd you and go I was to med waiting school? To become, I was waiting to become a famous artist, and that never happened, so I continued becoming a doctor.
2: <laughs> Where'd you go to med school?
1: Uh, Brooklyn, downstate, State University of New York, oh, boy. Brooklyn.
2: That's some rough and, neighborhood. Uh,
1: and growing up, the only doctor I really, I, there were two doctors that I, that I knew. One was my uncle, who was a psychiatrist, Who my mom's brother, who was a super smart guy. Um, and just always seemed to know every answer um, was just, uh, he really was brilliant um, and smart, and I thought psychiatry seemed cool because I thought he was cool uh, until I did my psychiatry rotation, and then I realized <laughs> it wasn't for me. Um, n- nothing against psychiatrists. I, I just thought I was going to go crazy if I did psychiatry.
2: What do they uh, say? People who go into therapy need therapy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
5: I want to talk
2: other, to you, Jason. They, what a great, yeah. you can, the, I mean, to be your patient, you, you are already healing them by just meeting you. That's what you can tell. The, the affection, the empathy, just the beauty of who you are as a person. Let me tell you something, Jason Cohn, that already is more powerful than whatever scalpel you put in your hand, that they know they can trust you and confidence in how smart and capable you are. I tell my office the healing starts once the phone rings and, and you're the same way, you're, you can just tell already in your voice. I want to get into this beautiful mentorship program that you came up with. Before I do that, I'm going to take a break, but I want to play a sound bite for you to hear. And when we come back, I want to hear your reaction to it and how it relates to training the next generation of doctors. Steve Paulette. let's play from Phil Jackson what Red Holtzman, his mentor, taught him. Number
5: six. Red not only encouraged me to stay a part of the game, but he also taught me a lot about watching the game. He would say, you know, this is not rocket science. Defensively, you try to stay in front of a man. Offensively, hit the open man. It was, he was a no-nonsense guy.
2: And number seven.
5: Basketball for him was a game that transitioned from the playground and the offensive systems that were being used at that time were just something that he thought happened all the time. Red made me the guy that diagrammed the plays. And people that know me know I'm not much of an X and O guy, but Red recognized the fact I had a love for concepts and a love for the game.
2: When the mentor recognizes the talent that they see in the mentee, that's Phil Jackson talking about his mentor. Stay on the line, Jason. We're going to come back and get into the program, this beautiful thing you brought into the universe of mentoring young, soon-to-be doctors. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710. 710. ESPN. You're listening to
0: the Weekend Warrior Show, presented
6: by Cedar Sinai. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. At 42 years old, you know what
2: your new nickname is for me?
6: (laughs) Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. You're not Matthew from Santa Monica anymore. You're Mr. Preop. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back,
2: Weekend Warriors, the great Jackie Wilson, the mentor for Michael Jackson, according to Michael Jackson. I'm joined now by one of the great mentors at Cedar sinai for young doctors, people who want to be doctors, the great Dr. Jason Cohn. So Jason, you heard the soundbite. Do you agree that there's a difference between teaching and being inspired by someone versus actually a pound of flesh? a mentor to a mentee. What does mentorship mean to you? Yeah, no, I think that's a great uh, uh, point
1: about you could have teachers and then you could have mentors. And, and I actually feel like for the most part, I don't know if I truly had mentors in terms of my career. I definitely had teachers. And that, the, the fact that I feel like I didn't personally have any set mentor is what kind of inspired me to to help Create this program at Cedar Sinai mentoring these uh, college and post bac kids who want to go into medicine. I kind of felt like I didn't really get that opportunity, and for me, it kind of inspired me to, to help create it and continue
2: to, to run this program. If there's one thing, J- Dr. Jason Cohn from Cedars, general surgeon par excellence, if it's one thing that you want to get across to one of the mentors or mentees. What is it? So, so, you know, one of the things
1: I get to do in part of this pre med program, and we're going to, we had your wife on actually as one of our guests, and we'll have to have you. My wife was on. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, several years ago, she was one of our guests in our program. Um, and so we're going to have you for sure. I apologize we haven't yet. But one of the things that is find a mentor, you know, just like you said, is try to find someone. To, to actually be your mentor, and, and but that takes work. You know, it, it's not just you just knock on the door and say, hey, be my mentor. Uh, I actually had an, another doctor uh, who, who was our guest, uh, uh, an oncologist named David Agus, who's an amazing guy, a national figure, say, if you want to come work in my lab, you better make sure you know who I am, know my research I've done, read my books, and come and prepared and do your homework so that now I'm going to be willing to take you under my wing you can't just come in without having done any work just say hey be my mentor it's like you know the Mm -hmm. karate kid you got to wax
2: on wax off for a while Mm -hmm. Mm. and where do these folks come from take us through it uh young old what colleges what what places in the world do these folks come from so our our students are Well, unfortunately, due to COVID, or fortunately due to
1: COVID, we we now just relaunched the program virtually. So now the students could basically be anywhere in the U.S. But um, we we ran three sessions, spring and summer and fall. In the summer, we did tend to have students from around the country that were then uh, in L.A. just for the summer to do our program. But during the year, we mostly, the kids were local kids. Either they were still in college, any of the colleges locally in Los Angeles, or they were already done with college, still thinking they wanted to go to med school. They were doing post-bac programs, um, and uh, so, they were, so they were around. So you had to be 18, you have to be 18, at least a, a freshman in college. And sometimes we have kids in their 30s, you know, thinking, uh, finishing some other career, thinking, hey, I, I, I wish I had gone to medicine. Let me see what this is about. And, and trying to get a sense of,
2: of what, what it is we doctors do. How did you get the word out, Dr. Cohn? How did you let people know? Is it on a Cedars website? Do you type in www.mentoringandmedicine.com? I mean, this is it's yeah. fascinating. How do you get it off the ground? So, so it's interesting, you know. They're really uh,
1: in the olden days, you know, when you and I were uh, were kids. It was easy for a kid, like, for someone like us, to just walk into a hospital with, and and put on a coat and shadow and probably even touch patients and and even maybe do things that today people would freak out about. You know, you know the the mm-hmm. accessibility back when we were younger was there, but today because of laws and rules and and patient confidentiality, it's really hard. To, for a kid to get into a hospital, to get into a doctor's office, to shadow. So, you know, this program actually, to some degree, started 20 years ago, uh, somewhat informally. Um, it's run through the volunteer department at Cedar Sinai. Uh, it was it was initially started by a woman named Barbara Leans, who to some degree is actually a mentor of mine, I must say. Um, she ran the volunteer department. I, I'm sure you know her. Yes. Um, yes. And, yes. and um, and initially, it was just they said, hey, we got this kid. I knew them. They said, hey, we have a kid who's interested in becoming a doctor. Uh, would, you, would you let him shadow you? And, and that's how mm-hmm. it kind of started. And, and then uh, because as years passed, because of more rules and regulations, um, it, it wound up that program was very informal and shut down until about five, six years ago. When we realized this is really an important thing, there isn't anything for kids around the country to get in and shadow doctors. And, and we spent a lot of time, we, we had to deal with all layers of bureaucracy at Cedar Sinai, and we, we got it approved. And, and so we have these kids come in, and they actually get full clearance by the hospital, and they, they get a badge, and, and they're able to go in and shadow wherever that doc and they're assigned to a doctor or a group of doctors within a specialty, and they're actually able to shadow and go in and see whatever it is that doctor's doing. So if they're going to surgery, they could observe surgery. If they're making rounds mm-hmm. at the hospital, if they're doing conferences, they get to do that. And because it's a rare thing, this kind of program, the word has really gotten out through the students to some degree. There's definitely, you could Google, you know, Cedar sinai shadowing uh, or um, volunteer program, and you could find it there. It's on a website. Um, but the word has really gotten out among students around the country that this program still, still, you know, it could, we could get more word out, but, but it's, it's pretty well known at this point, since it's not a very common thing to be able to get into a hospital.
2: I was contacted by one of the students already for this program, uh, which I'm honored to do, but it was a typical millennial contact. The student sent me an email basically saying, these are his availabilities, okay? And I'm like reading this going, really? I'm supposed to be the mentor, and I got to figure out how I can fit in your schedule. And I'm saying to myself, what kind of a world do we live in that I got to actually figure out how I can turn my schedule around for, the, for him, when I grew up, it yeah. was the other way around. Thank you so much for letting me shadow you. Whenever you need me, I'll be there. It's hilarious. The world is literally upside down and backwards nowadays. But anyway, I hope well, when I get yeah. to meet this person, I'll be uh, more impressed. Um, and the world is definitely upside
1: down and backwards. I totally agree. And, and that's one thing we try to instill in these kids. Unfortunately, we're doing it virtually now. So And this is the first time we're trying it, this virtual shadowing
2: because we mm-hmm. can't
1: get the kids into the hospital. So it's a bit of an experimentation. We've just relaunched the program. We had to take a break in the spring and we were off in the summer because of COVID. So mm-hmm. um, we, I, I so appreciate your being willing
2: to, to try oh, yeah. to, uh, to, to see if this could work. Not only am I inspired and willing to participate, but as soon as I heard about it, it was my next request is to have you come on the show to talk about it. This is, of all the things I will do this year, and there will be many, I'm telling you right now, Dr. Jason Cohn, this'll be something I'll be most proud of more than anything else. To be able to change the life of just one person and make the world a better place, that's a great place to start. And I can't thank you enough because I can only imagine the red tape. Maybe you need a dad who knew how to deal with the mob to be able to figure out all the laws, you got to get through. But you know what? Your mother may have, may have made you the sweetheart that you are. But thank God, your dad taught you to get through brick walls. So I very much and we all appreciate all the work you're doing, and you are making the world a better place. Thanks so much for getting well, up you. early to be with us. You're So the one, if I could say, the one thing I used to tell my
1: residents was that you got to lie, cheat, and steal sometimes to take care of your patients.
2: <laughs> Thank you, attorney. What was your dad's first name? Bernie. Attorney Bernie Bernie. (laughs) Cohn. God bless you, Jason. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. You're welcome. Okay. All right. That's great, Dr. Jason Cohn from Cedars Sinai. Another reason I'm so proud to be at Cedars because of people like that, and I'm so thankful to Gordon Kalodney and Brian Croft for making this show happen and sponsoring the weekend warrior show can't thank you guys enough all right coming up next i gotta tell you where the greatest french baguette and french butter is that i ever had in los angeles and i gotta also give a shout out to my surfing buddy russ mukai who got banged in the head by either a rock or a surfboard and wound up with a concussion and a big laceration on the top of his head one of the sweetest people i've met in my life that i see every Sunday in the ocean. We'll get into all of that and what I discovered last Sunday in the moonlight, surfing. Mm, Wait till you hear this story. Coming up next on the Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.
0: You're listening to The Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai What's
6: going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Start your weekend off right, listening to The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Google the Guggenheim. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back
2: Weekend Warriors, listening to The Endless Summer, music from 1964, Bruce Brown's famous movie, let's talk a little bit about surfing, Jared Abrams just lined up, the great Ben Aipa's son. At the end of next month, we'll have him on as a guest talking about one of the great Hawaiian surfing legends, Ben Aipa. I actually have one of his boards in my office. It's not even up for display. It's in my office, my desk. Ben Aipa, a giant in the field of surfing. There's a magazine called Surfer's Magazine. The Surfer Magazine. And it was started by a man named John Severson. And Severson used to say that a surfer in this crowded world could still find a place where you're by yourself alone. Riding the waves are really important to me as my form of meditation or gift that I give myself for working so hard. But it's really all about being in the water, one-on-one with the ocean. So lately I've been getting up, there's a three next to the clock, (laughs) as in 3.55 in the morning, so that I can get into the ocean during the moonlight with the light shimmering, to try to be in the ocean all by myself. Last, Last Sunday, It's pitch black. I cannot see. And as I catch a wave, I feel. I come racing down the wave, only seeing the moonlight shimmering on the water. I almost hit somebody because there's another lunatic in the water at this hour who you can't see. It was, it was incredible. But once first light came, and dawn came, and the waves were great, and I paddled out to the lineup, maybe 10 feet away from me, one of the largest sea lions I've ever seen popped his head up 10 feet from me. It was only then that I realized, sometimes it's best not to see. because it would make me nervous to know what actually is under me while I'm out there. But the draw is so powerful. The ocean calls me and I gotta go. Intellectually, there's a lot of reasons you can line up of why it doesn't make sense. But there used to be an ad campaign that said, only a surfer knows the feeling. And many of you I know love when I talk about surfing, even though you don't surf, so that you can even tap into whatever this magical feeling of riding waves is all about. And that's why I try to devote at least one show a month to the power and the passion that I have for the ocean. Let me tell you about the bread, because I love talking about food, I love eating the food, and but I... I'm a New Yorker, as Jason Cohn says. And New Yorkers, I'm not looking to try every kind of food in the world. There's only four things I like to eat. Pizza, cheeseburgers. I'm a minimalist in terms of it. I'm not looking. I'm looking for the best ice cream. And I gotta tell you something. I don't need anything in life but a good piece of bread and butter. So I search for the best bread and butter. This week, I saw a patient in my office, hurt his knee. Hi, Dr. Clapper, I've been waiting to see you. Please help me, I hurt my knee. And he's talking to me with a French accent. I said, are you from France? Yes, I am. Paris, nope. I'm from Brittany, he says, where the surfing is. I said, are you a surfer? He says, nope. And now I'm spending a few minutes talking to him about my love of France, going to Europe, with COVID you can't. And I said to him, you know what I miss most other than the art, the people, what I miss, certainly going to France is one thing, the French bread, the baguette, and more importantly, that yellow butter. I don't know what they do the cows are different the wheat is different but there's nothing like a crunchy out of the oven french baguette with that french butter my mouth is watering already just talking about it it's simple but it's the most incredible thing you can eat he looks at me says you know dr clapper i found a place in los angeles You don't have to go to France anymore, we have it here. I said, you're kidding me, get out of here. He says it's at the farmer's market on Fairfax. The name of the place is called Michelina. It's only open from nine to three, which means three days a week I'm in surgery, the other days a week I'm seeing patients. How the hell am I gonna get to a place between nine and three? I don't know if it's open on the weekends now that I think about it. So what did I do? I sent a friend of mine, the great Chuck Burchette while I'm in surgery yesterday, Chuck, do me a favor, go to Michelina, get me a French baguette and some of the butter. Between surgeries, I'd love to have some and share it with some of the folks in the operating room with me. And he did. Let me tell you something. You don't need to go to France on a plane anymore farmer's market fairfax get the, you can get other things there i'm sure do me a favor just get the bread yeah. smear that butter on it they even make homemade raspberry jam that they give you as well they could charge a hundred dollars for this thing i'd pay it. that's how good it is it crunches but you close your eyes taste the wheat you can imagine those wheat fields blowing in the wind Every bite you take of that bread and butter. Incredible. Let's talk about next week. we got about a minute left. You know what I'm going to talk about next week? Thanks to the great Jared Abrams. Underwear. We're going to have one of the biggest companies in the world and makes a special new kind of underwear. And I'm thinking to myself already, where in art, where in sports, is there underwear that changed the world for me? Well, growing up, I used to watch black and white TV, Superman. George Reeves hated, he said, running around in his underwear, even though all the kids like me loved it, versus Adam West of Batman, who embraced it. That's part of what I think we're going to talk about next week. Until then, I leave you with Volare, which means I'm singing and I'm flying. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio.